Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Dave Jenkinson continues our series of messages on the Book of the Twelve, today looking at the prophet Micah. And now, here's Dave. Let's just look to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You, whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Thank You, Lord, that we can, with our hearts, with our lips, with our minds, with our actions, our feet and our hands, declare You have set us free, free to serve, free to live, free to worship, and free to be the new creation that You've called us to be. We thank You, Lord, that this message, howbeit it was very clearly declared by Your Son in the New Testament, so too it has been declared in the prophets and in the writings of old. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is a firm foundation and it declares truth from Genesis to Revelation. So, Lord, we pray that Your Holy Spirit will teach us this day and we may go away from here having met with You. And we give You our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Micah. When I was a young, a young, younger lad, um, I used to hear people say, you know, there are the major prophets and there are the minor prophets. And my little mind said, oh, I know what a major is. That's a pretty high ranking person in, in the, uh, generals, uh, armies, navy, whatever, you know, major. That's, that's pretty well up there. I can understand that. And I used to think about the minor prophets. And I would think of Timmins, the mining community, you know, and uh, no, I wouldn't. I wasn't, I wasn't even in Timmins at the time, but, but I would, but that, that is so often thinking of, uh, of our, our minds. As children, as adults, we, we listen to these terms and we just say, oh, I know what that means. <laughs> and no, minor prophets simply means that, um, they're, they're not the large group um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, large in their quantity of verses. Uh, Micah, seven chapters, 105 verses. If you chose to read it through instead of listening to the message, you could do so in 15 minutes. I think the message may go a little longer, but the, uh, but, but the word of Micah, seven chapters. It doesn't take long to read it. And he is an interesting individual. Micah is simply uh, one of the Hebrew uh, short forms for Michael. And so, um, he's very unique. Um, Michael meaning one who is like our God. And so, he's basically in the Old Testament as a prophet. He's trying to declare there's something people are missing here. Because you don't understand who is like our God. And uh, he lived in a little place called South Porcupine. No, <laughs> uh, Morseth. <laughs> it was so little that it barely makes it on the map. Um, but it's there, sort of south of Jerusalem. 
in Judea, and his major thrust was to deal with the northern kingdom, which at the time was separated from the south. So they had a civil war, and the ten tribes had gone to the north, had separated. We don't want to have anything to do with David's family, Judah. We will start our own kingdom. We will still be children of God, but we'll just not be followers of the line of David. And he speaks a lot to the nation of Judah as well. So he doesn't just, he's from Judah, but he talks a lot about both Israel and Judah, predicting the judgment and conquest of the Assyrians who would come in 722 BC, eventually invade the north, destroy the north, take away the north into captivity. And he also describes the Babylonian prophecies where the Babylonians came in 586. That was quite a bit later from uh, my, um, the outline of the sins of these two nations. Primarily idolatry for the northern kingdom because all the other sins sort of flowed out of that. And the other was hypocrisy, coveting, stealing, theft, uh, lack of mercy and, and judgments. These were the sins of the southern kingdom. What is a prophet anyways? Well, it's more than what you hear of in the media today. If those of you who are followers of YouTube and uh, other visual social medias will hear a lot about what's going on in Israel today and there will be many references to Ezekiel 38 and 39. And Psalms 83 is being fulfilled. This is what you will hear. Uh, I would encourage you to take your own time to read those passages and see if they, in fact, conform to what is going on today. You see, the Lord Jesus said, I am coming back quickly. Be ready now. And so the prophecies concerning the Lord's return don't need a lot of anything to be fulfilled to happen right now. Before we leave this place, He could come back. And that call could take place. And we could be ushered into His presence. We are to have our lamps lit. Our lives full of the Holy Spirit. The, our redemption draws nigh, so we are to be looking for Him. And just like John in the first century, when he wrote Revelation under the inspiration of God, he says, Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Now you say, well, that was 2,000 years ago, Dave. So, what's going on with the word quickly here? Well, God's timetable is so different from our timetable. Remember, He doesn't work by our watches. He has His own because He is from the eternity. And so as we look at this, we understand that there are predictions of wars and rumors of wars. It's rather interesting that since Arab independence uh, Arab and Israeli independence uh, situated in 1947 and 49, the 1948 Arab-Israeli War was held. There was the Suez War in 1956, the Six-Day War in 1967, the Yom Kippur War in 1973, the First Lebanon War in 1982 to 2000, the Second Intifada from 2000 to 2005, the Second Lebanon War in 2006, 
the Gaza's war, there's not just been one Gaza war, there have been four Gaza wars. 2008-2009 was called Operation Cast Lead. Operation Pillar of Defense 2012, Operation Protective Edge 2014, and now Operation Destroy Hamas 2023. And if you think that's just the wars, you go backwards from 1948 and you discover that it was World War II, World War I, Napoleonic War, the Ottoman Wars, the Crusades, not once, not twice, not three, but four times. The Muslim Wars and the Roman Wars. And that's just an overview. That's not the details. So, uh, for those who say we are in a time of war, when haven't we been in a time of war? It's, uh, it's when we say there's a time of peace, then that's the unusual, unfortunately. And those of us who follow false prophets like Nostradamus will... Be concerned because he predicted that World War III would happen this year. He also predicted the death of the Pope and things like 911 and other things. But, you know, he's only accurate 70% of the time. And the Word of God is clear. If you're truly a prophet of God, this is what Deuteronomy says. Deuteronomy 18.20 The prophet who presumes to speak in a word in my name and I have not commanded him to speak or speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. So, be careful if you call yourself a prophet. If the thing happens, does not happen or come to pass, the thing which the Lord has not spoken, the prophet has spoken presumptuously. And don't be afraid of him. And so there are many people today that it continue to predict. YouTube is full. God bless YouTube. I love the fact that it's there. But it's also full of error. However, Micah was so well known that Jeremiah 26, 18 to 19 actually quotes Micah when they're arguing with the king at the time. And they're saying, why would we ever put the, uh, this prophet into prison. Remember what Micah said, and they quote the story of Micah. It's a real individual. And let's just briefly look at some of the things that we can learn from Micah. Chapter 1 is about judgment on Israel. What is the transgression, he says in verse 5, of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Whoa! Whoa! They were so thankful for their temple, their worship and sacrifice. They had got everything right and they had got everything wrong all at the same time. Because they had the sacrifice. They had the blood. They had the priesthood. They had the, the proper order. But what was missing was heart. You know, that's sometimes the way we are, isn't it? We can come to a meeting where our hearts are cold. We, we don't know why we're here. We're just yawning. We're just thinking that, you know, this is the, the thing to do. We got to do it. <laughs> but when God gets a hold of our heart, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will write my word upon your heart. See, they had the worship. 
They had the sacrifice. They had the pomp and circumstance. But they did not have the heart of God. And Micah is here to remind them that God is way more than simply doing it right and having religion down pat. I know what to do. I know when to stand and when not to stand. I know how to pray. But it's about your heart. In chapter 2, he says, little bit of a, little bit of a, a dig. Verse 12, I will assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep in the fold, like a flock in the midst of pasture. Why does he say that? Because he's reminding them that there's going to be coming one who calls himself the Good Shepherd. His name is Jesus. And he says most assuredly in John 10, verse 7, most assuredly I say, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. Ah, Micah. All those people that are still practicing right now, they're thieves and robbers. All they are is in it for what they can earn. In fact, he spends a lot of time in one of the chapters speaking about that very truth. But he says, Lord Jesus, but my sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, to destroy. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Other sheep, verse 16, I have which are not of this fold. These also I must bring. They will hear my voice. There will be how many? One flock and one shepherd. That's worldwide. One flock. There is only one church. When Paul said, endeavor to keep the unity. He knew there was unity. He just said, try to keep it. Because we're so quick in our own characteristics to dismember people who just don't look like us. But they love the same Lord Jesus. And so in chapter 3, he does this. He talks about those who judge for a bride, verse 11. Priests teach for pay. Prophets divine for money. Boy, does that not sound like today. I'll never forget the one gentleman... He would sit there with his smoke and his cigar and his easy boy, look back at the TV camera and he said, send me a dollar. I'll bless you. Send me a dollar. And that's the nature of the preachers who preach for pay. Instead, they say, by the way, ah, is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. And that is the error of their way. For in Deuteronomy 29, the Lord himself said in verse 19, when you hear the words of this curse and you bless yourself and say, well, I'm going to have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart, the Lord will not spare him, verse 20. For then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will burn against that man. And every curse that's written in the book will settle on him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. This is way back in Deuteronomy. He speaks this way to the people of God. And so, as we look at this, 
we have to say that there is hope. Hope for the Lord's reign. In chapter 4, he speaks, In the latter days, the mountains of the Lord's house will be established on the top of the mountains. And they will be exalted above the hills. And people will flow to it. And many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Let us go to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways. We shall walk in His paths. Verse 3, He will judge between many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Boy, that doesn't sound like today. The steel production is up. The nickel production is up. But it's not about farming equipment that's causing it. No, it's about the sports. And so, as we think about Micah's reminder that the God of Jacob is you didn't hear that, eh? Okay. The God of Jacob is the God whom we serve, and he shall uh, judge between all the nations. Now, it's interesting that Isaiah quotes exactly the same passage in Isaiah 2, 1 through 4. So, what do you think? There's plagiarism going on here between the prophets? No, they're not even living at the same time. No, it's the Spirit of God using the prophets to remind us, there is consistency in God's Word. And that's why so many of the New Testament writers quote prophets and the Word of God from the Old Testament. When you see those little italics verses and you realize that that's an Old Testament verse, it's wonderful to be able to go back and read it and find out what exactly prompted the Holy Spirit to remind us of that. In chapter 5, we have one of the most powerful chapters in all of Micah, Quoted every year. In fact, uh, even our our banners kind of allude to it. They are so good to see the banners and reminding us we're coming into the season of hope, the season of the nativity, the season of the incarnation. And in Micah 5, he says, Gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid a siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on his cheek. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Wow. What a beautiful verse. He's been pronouncing judgment. He's pronouncing the fact that there's been great sin in the land, that they have been focusing on the wrong thing, that they have been trying to build up their swords, and they have been trying to protect themselves and their assets. But really, he says, you've forgotten me. But one day, that little town called Breadtown, House of Bread, Bethlehem, is going to have the bread of life. And the bread of life is going to come into this world in a quiet way, but in a glorious way. Angels will be singing to sheep and shepherds. But they didn't sing to King Herod. Uh-uh-uh. Not that guy. And they didn't sing to the scribes and the Pharisees. No. They sang to a bunch of shepherds. Maybe shepherds that were particularly assigned the task of caring for the Passover lambs. You see, they had to have perfect sheep to sacrifice. 
and the Levites that were working as shepherds would wrap the lambs that were born that were without blemish for the Passover in swaddling bands so they wouldn't bruise themselves or hurt themselves in their first few months. And there, amidst the glow of that first Christmas, the Lord Jesus is being wrapped in swaddling bands, lying in a manger. And there he lays, quietly looking up at this world that he's holding by the word of his power, according to Colossians. And his love is emanating forth even at that moment. His um, love emanates today. And it emanates from the cross where he was going to go. We've been singing a lot of hymns about the cross. And the cross is the focus of God's love. It's the big plus. This past week, some of you and I were watching as the Red Cross delivered hostages from the enemy to a place of peace. Children, young women, older women, the first of the hostages. And some Thais and Filipinos, which we didn't even know about. But God knew, and they were just as important. So when we prayed for hostages, we were praying for that one lone Filipino who was released as well. And he thanks you. But that just shows the marvel of God, doesn't it? And when he hung there on the cross, Jesus died for all who would by faith look to him and say, like that thief, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, ah, you're going to be with me today. You will be with me in paradise. I love that. No delay. Oh, you're going to sit around for a few years. No, it's a today. And that's why Paul could say, today if you've heard his voice, today is the day of salvation. So many people, they say, I can't, I can't know whether I'm going to be saved. I'll know at the very end. I'll get a chance to, you know, he'll wage, uh, he'll put my good deeds in a basket and he'll weigh them up against my bad deeds. And I'm sure hoping my good deeds will, you know, outweigh the bad deeds. No. Ain't going to happen that way. He says, what did you do with my son? Where do you see my son? Whose Lord is he? Is he your Lord? Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And so, this chapter in chapter 5 is such a beautiful chapter because it reminds us again that there is coming a day when prophecies get fulfilled. And he shall stand and feed his flock. And the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide. And from them he shall be great. And to the ends of the earth. Here. <laughs> and this one shall be our peace. Yes. This one shall be our peace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. The great argument that kept us away from God has been solved on the cross. 
And when we put our faith in Him and surrender our hearts to Him and say, there's nothing we can do. You've done it all. We have peace with God. The world is looking for peace. Peace has been made with God by the blood of the cross. And we can have the peace of God. Philippians 4.7 The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. It gives us peace amidst difficult times. This world is, can I say, chaotic? It seems that way. But not when you understand that God who serves and controls all things is way above the chaos. And he says, don't fret. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. Let the peace of God rule your hearts. Colossians 3.15 Let His peace rule you. You can only do that if you've surrendered your heart to the King of Peace. And then, of course, the peace of God is with you all. Romans 15.33 Romans 16.20 And the God of peace will crush Satan. There it is. Don't worry. His day is coming. Philippians 4.9 The things you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. The wise men came from the east asking, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And they quote the passage that we've read. And the king determines that go, search carefully for the child. When you have found him, bring word back to me that they may come and worship him also. That king was lying. We know that because he later discovers that the wise men did not follow his instructions. And he has all the babies two years of old and under, executed. Yes, when they heard the king, they departed. The star which they'd seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And then when they saw the star, they rejoiced. As I was going down one of our streets, I noticed a few people had put out some strings of lights. It made my heart glad. Not because somebody's burning extra electricity, because they had spent time working to do it for whatever reason, but because it reminds me, again, that there was one who came into this darkened world at the darkest point of time, and he came as our light. And so, they were divinely warned in a dream, these wise men. They did not return the same way but they went to their own country another way. In chapter 6, we have the pleading with Israel again. And this is an interesting chapter because in verse 4 he says, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. I sent you before you, Moses. The prophet is, on behalf of God, reviewing the history of before the, when they were slaves in Egypt. And he says, and just... I sent before you Moses, Aaron, Miriam, 
O my people, remember now what Bala, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. He's reminding them something of a story. And what is that story? It's the story of the prophet, the crazy prophet Balaam, who could get rich by pronouncing curses or blessings upon people. And the king comes along and says, I want you to curse the nation of Israel. And he tries. And every time he goes into his prophetic uh, trance, <laughs> he comes up, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all it is with him. Well, he doesn't quote that verse, but he does bless Israel. And they keep talking, well, maybe we got the wrong mountain. They go to another mountain. And maybe we got the wrong number of sacrifices. Maybe we meet new four altars. And they keep changing things around. And with every word, he blesses Israel. And Micah says this. He says, don't you get it? The nation of Israel wasn't perfect. They were sinners just like you are. But you need to understand that righteousness comes from the Lord. He is our righteousness. That's what Jehovah, that's what Jesus means, by the way. Jehovah is our salvation, our righteousness. And when he goes on to say, and so when you give out Thousands of burnt offerings. Is that what pleases God? Uh, giving, uh, you know, all these burnt offerings and bowing before God, giving your firstborn the fruit of my body for sin of my soul. No, he's showing you, oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you to do justly? To love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. In other words, to have a new heart. For Samuel fifteen twenty two, Samuel said, Has the Lord great delight? in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Better to obey. Obey is better to uh, than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Psalms 34.18 The Lord is near to those who are of a broken heart and says such as have a contrite spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And we can quote... John's Gospel, John 3, 7, verse 7. You must be born again. And just as you cannot produce justice, mercy, and humility in and of yourself, you need the Holy Spirit. You need God within to do so. You need a new heart. In chapter 7 of this little book, and I think I have about a half a minute to do so, he speaks about do not trusting a friend, verse 5. A son dishonors his father, a daughter rises against mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are men of his own household. Where have you heard that before? Well, Jesus quoted it in Matthew 10:35. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. Why does he do that? Because Mike has caught on to the fact that when you embrace God in a living way, you are walking differently than the world walks, even the religious world. And so he ends with this verse, Micah 7:18. What is the conclusion? What is God really like? Who is, who is like God? Well, God pardons iniquity. He passes over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever. He delights in mercy, and he will again have compassion on us 
and will subdue our, does he say enemies? No, he says our iniquities, our sin. And you will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. And I believe it was Corey Tambumi who said it this way. And when God casts your sin into the depths of the sea, he also puts a sign there saying, no fishing. There's too many Christians who have their sins forgiven and they keep revisiting their sins, their past. That's on the cross. The Savior died for all our sin. And we need to move on to exercise the walk of faith. Now, we're going to stumble and fall. Because children that learn how to walk, that's what they do. But as you grow in faith, more and more we will walk like the young man and young woman or older person that God wants us to walk. And we will continue to remember those sins are forgiven. When he said to the lady who was caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go sin no more. Why should he say that? Because if she would go with him and abide with him, she would have that kind of relationship. It's all about forgiveness. The question then, as we conclude, are you forgiven? Have you understood Micah's message of forgiveness? And the message, who is a God like you who pardons sin? May God bless us. We'll ask Ryan if you'll close in prayer. Father God, we're grateful for the time we spent this morning remembering your your death and the centrality of, of that in our life today and going forward. I just pray that we would be reminded of those things this week. And I just pray that we would be a light in a very dark place. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.